I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 11 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, April the 17th. First, I'll be talking to the founder and managing director of Two Hands, Greg McClarty. Two Hands is a company that exports hundreds of millions worth of lobsters into China during COVID-19, and it risks the Chinese fish markets where the live lobsters are exposed to terrible and unhygienic conditions. We'll be talking about how they manage it. And then I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver about the share market and how it's travelling. But now, let's talk to Greg McClarty. Greg McClarty, you're flying hundreds of millions worth of lobsters into China, and you're taking the risk in COVID-19 of the Chinese fish markets, where the live lobsters are exposed to terrible and unhygienic conditions. How do you manage it? Well, there's good and bad coming out of it, Leon. The, no, start with the bad, uh, is that no effective from Chinese New Year. So on 27th of January, January we had our last shipment and we uh, haven't had a shipment since simply because the, the restaurants haven't been open. Uh, the restaurants uh, have been open now and had, they've been open for probably around, most of them were open for about three weeks. But the, uh, because things are very slow still, people really aren't attending restaurants uh, because they need, need to keep their social distance and they still need to have their face mask. So it's an unsocial um, situation. So they're not attending restaurants because it is unsociable. Uh, and the, the chefs are telling us they won't really start ordering till the end of May. But, the, but Leon, the good coming out of it is... You know, the, uh, no, I'm in constant contact with the executive chefs in Shanghai and the uh, executive chef for the Waldorf Astoria on the Bund said to me last week that the whole world knows that coronavirus started in a fish market. And so he, he said that he, he thinks that makes the two hands model very compelling because we avoid the fish market. In fact, he's encouraged us to significantly expand the number of proteins that we, uh, we bring in. So it's good and badly on. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, tell, tell me about the two hands model. You actually avoid going through third parties and you take it directly to the restaurants. Is that right? That's correct. So we get the way our, uh, we connect uh, producers, we connect fishers and farmers directly with the restaurant, with the chef. And with that uh, direct connection, we've been able to reinvent the supply chain and eliminate middlemen. And so the way it works is that the, the fisher or farmer locks a smart tag onto the product. Uh, that, and so it's tamper uh, evident and it, uh, it can't be removed uh, until it gets to, to the chef. That, that product then comes to shore where it's weighed and the quality is assessed. That information together with the fisher information, farmer information is then with pricing uploaded to our marketplace. And then information is immediately available to uh, the chef and the restaurant who uh, place the order. We aggregate the order in Australia. That's where we are very differently on. We, uh, we pack it in Australia. Uh, it arrives in uh, Pudong Customs. Pudong is the international airport for Shanghai. And it literally goes straight from customs to the restaurant. So we're avoiding the importer, the wholesaler, and the last mile distributor. And, and so we avoid the fish markets. And and with uh, because we use, we're using smart tagging with blockchain technology, we can guarantee the provenance of, of the product and we can guarantee the ethics of the journey the product went on. Block, how does the blockchain technology work in this case? Uh, our view, Leon, is that the blockchain technology itself is, honestly, it's, it's quite straightforward. And you've, you've, we see many people who have built a blockchain product, uh, no, that, that old movie from, I think the nineties where they said, build it and they will come and that that hasn't worked. And so what is critical is to have all the, uh, all the information that's recorded up to the blockchain. And so we've worked really hardly on every time there's a change in custody of the product that change in custody or any activity uh, that affects the product needs to, that information needs to be uploaded to the blockchain. So we've spent an inordinate amount of time and effort uh, making sure there are no gaps from the fisher because the blockchain calls the fisher and farmer the source of truth. You have to start with the source of truth. If you start anywhere else in the chain, then fraud can happen. And you can't have any gaps in the information from the fisher and farmer all the way through to the consumer. You can't have any gaps, otherwise fraud can happen. So we've worked really hard to make sure that there's no gaps in the information. And all that, all, every change of custody is recorded up to the blockchain. So that's, uh, that's how we guarantee the authenticity, Leon. How many in the chain? Uh, for us, well, we say right now in the traditional uh, chain, there's, uh, there's many hands and I can go through 10 different hands. 
Well, one of the things we like to say is part of our brand name is we go from many hands to two hands where for us, it goes from the fisher and then there's essentially only uh, two other people in the chain before it gets to the restaurant. We, we manage the rest. So as I said, we've reinvented the supply chain and eliminated middlemen and made it much simpler, Leon. And by making it much simpler, it's made it much easier for us to implement a, a blockchain uh, application with integrity. So you expect this will, uh, once people start going to restaurants again in China, uh, they'll take to it quite well. Well, the with coronavirus, it's um, it's it's devastated lives and it's scared it's scared the world, Leon. And so it can't be business as usual. There must be change. And 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 so what we're finding in talking with the executive chefs in Shanghai, uh, because because they don't have much clientele right now, they're twiddling their thumbs. So it's a great time to be talking to them. Uh, what we're doing really resonates. People want to know they're consuming safe food. That That's quite significant because Australia, of course, has a reputation of having very safe food. Yeah, yeah Australia, uh, throughout, I've had the opportunity to travel throughout China, and I must say Australia has uh, an extraordinary reputation. We're a very highly regulated uh, country, uh, and that might drive people crazy. But uh, in China, they see that as a great positive because the high regulation means things are safe and they can trust, they can trust what comes out of Australia. But the issue is, is that, no, uh, no, I think it's wonderful what the government has done with this rescue package for food exporters. It's, it's extraordinary. And with the JobKeeper program, Leon, I never thought I'd be saying these words, but God bless the government. The, uh, they're extraordinary, but with a rescue package of food exporters, once it leaves Australia, it's still going through those traditional channels. It's still going through the wet markets that Scott Morrison is rightly saying must be shut down. And so there has to be a different model. And so we believe we've got an idea whose time has come uh, and in avoiding the fish markets. What's interesting there is, of course, you've got this crisis, which is not only happening in China, but right across Asia. So you've also got markets in uh, South Korea, Indonesia, Hong yes. Kong. Yes. You could actually target those markets as well using your blockchain technology. Yeah, Leon. No, the beauty of the digital age, and, and, and I think the blockchain is going to take that to, to another level, is that once you get the product right, and once you have a product that the market needs and wants, you can you can scale it up very quickly. And we and what we see in the future of blockchain, and and we're talking about the full suite of blockchain products here. Not just it seems that everyone's focused on the traceability aspect of blockchain, but my goodness, the future, the full suite of blockchain is something. It's a thing of great beauty, Leon. And that's what we're pursuing, the, that blockchain that is of great beauty that, in, uh, that can expand globally at a very rapid pace. And, and so, uh, so that's, that's the model we're pursuing with a, with a public uh, curated register. With a public curated register, you can expand globally very rapidly, but also with a public curated register, no, the copycats, the liars and the dirty, dirty cheats uh, can be found out and called out and they can be eliminated. 
So this is the first time we have a, a, a technology that can ensure that all the participants operate ethically. And how, how, how incredible is that? What's interesting here is, I mean, no one seems to have thought of this. I mean, what made you come to this model? Oh, it's, it's just weird, Leon. It, uh, it's, it's so much of our journey is serendipity, like it was, like it was meant to be, you know? We were first approached by some fisher leaders in the rock lobster industry, Leon, who, who were desperately concerned about the future of their industry because, uh, you know, the middlemen are getting bigger and, and they're becoming more arrogant and ruthless. And the fishers have the same boat, same size boat. They say the same size. And so they were really worried about their future. And so they approached me uh, and said, Greg, we, we need a solution. And I uh, hung up. I got this call of desperation. I hung up from them. And, and, and then I happened to just know a couple of Australians who were working in some of the best uh, restaurants in China, in Shanghai. And I called them. I said, hey, listen, I've had this discussion with some leaders in the fishers industry here in Australia. What do you think? And I, think, I said, I, I reckon we can connect uh, people directly just like Airbnb does. And I said to the guy, Australians in Shanghai, uh, what do you think? And they said, what a bloody brilliant idea. And so they said, can you come up quickly? And so I went up to see him. And, and, and so we worked out that we can make this happen and we can avoid middlemen. And, and so what, what we then found, Leon, is that by trying to be a champion for fishers and farmers, we, all, we could then solve a food fraud, fraud problem in China that is a, a shocking issue in China. Food fraud is a terrible, terrible issue. And the whole world is suffering from this issue right now because coronavirus, bird flu and SARS all uh, had their, were all enabled by a food supply chain that lacks transparency and ethics. And blockchain solves those issues. And so how amazing is it? And so then we keep following down the path and we find that as we explore more about blockchain and the beauty of blockchain with its smart contracts and its public curated register, that my goodness, now th this is something that could bring ethics to the world food supply. And so now one of the things I like to say, Leon, is that kids, uh, primary school kids today, they can't believe a world existed when there was no smartphones. What I say is that infants of today, when they uh, reach primary school age, they'll be incredulous that previous generations did not know who the fisher and farmer was or the food they consumed, did not know the ethics of the supply chain that, that delivered that food, and, and, and they will be sitting and, and thankful, thank, thankfully safe that they live in a world where... Uh, ethical food supply chains will no longer enable a coronavirus, bird flu, or SARS. I, I think I, I think thing, I think we can move quickly to that world, Leon, thanks to blockchain. Well, it'll be fascinating to watch, and congratulations for a brilliant innovation. And the world will be thanking you. Thank you very much, Greg. Thank you so much, Leon. And now let's talk to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver. Well, Shane. I'm a bit puzzled by the markets. It's been uh, it's rounded off quite a few weeks of uh, solid gains for the U.S. equity markets. Uh, 
It's up more than 20% since its lows in late March. And the ASX's index is still up about 16% since its March low. Now, I'm, I'm quite puzzled about this because stock markets are meant to be lead indicators for the economy, and uh, this time they seem to be getting ahead of themselves because uh, we have all sorts of economic news coming up about the impact of COVID-19, and uh, we don't know how this is going to pan out. What's your view about this? I, I think it's uh, – I mean, share markets often surprise people. We saw a plunge in share markets from their high – around about 20th of February to their low a month later. And that, of course, was at a time when many were not that negative on coronavirus. And so the share market sort of led on the way down. And I think what's happened in the last couple of weeks where we have seen this sort of 15 to 20% rally, depending on the market, the US share market's up 19% from the bottom. We're up about 16%, and it varies from day to day, of course. Um, but we have seen a pretty good rally I think what's happened is that uh, several things have occurred. Firstly, a lot of bad news had been factored in. Share markets on average had fallen about 35%. Our market had come down about 37%. US about 34%. Europe about about 38%. So a lot of bad news had been factored in. Secondly, you saw the uh, policy moves by governments and central banks, massive monetary easing, massive fiscal stimulus around the world and in Australia – dwarfing what we saw at the time of the GFC. And then finally, in recent week, the last week or so, we've seen more evidence that the number of new cases is is starting to come under control in various hotspots, including Italy, Spain, Germany, uh, Eurozone generally, and maybe even New York. And of course, in Australia, we have seen uh, the number of new cases declined quite substantially over the last week or so. So it's it's that combination of things, the fact that a lot of bad news has already been factored in. And so when the bad news comes along in terms of bad economic data, the market says, OK, well, we thought that was going to happen. Uh, but in the meantime, it's been offset by the policy stimulus and signs, potential signs that coronavirus uh, might st- be starting to lose some of its grip. But the reality is uh, that while the governments and central banks around the world have flooded the economies with uh, uh, stimulus measures, uh, trying to stave off the length of the inevitable recessions. The reality is the success of these measures won't be clear for months. That's right. And therefore, it's too early to say markets are bottomed. It's a bit like uh, you go way back to October 2008, November 2008. There was two 19% rallies in US shares. Uh, through that period from uh, an area in late October to early November and another one November to later in November. Many thought that's it. The, uh, the, the big GFC bear market is over. But then, of course, it resumed and ultimately US and Australian shares did not bottom until March of 2009 uh, as the economic environment continued to deteriorate. So it's, it's still way too early to say that share markets have bottomed. I'm hopeful they have. Um, They often lead. We have seen uh, the offsetting fiscal stimulus and maybe if uh, coronavirus starts to uh, come under control, some of the shutdowns might be eased. But there is still quite a bit of bad news to to come Um, and that, I think, could drag markets still lower. Um, And it is quite common for share markets to go through a bit of a basing process. They come down very sharply, 
have bear market rallies, then you come down again and you start to see technical signs that the market is bottoming. For example, the share market going down on lower volumes to make its low or less stocks making new lows, for example. Those sorts of things arguably haven't been ticked off just yet, but they do suggest that you know we could still see more weakness in the share markets in the, the weeks ahead uh, before we can say with confidence that it's bottomed. Trouble for investors, of course, you never know with any of this stuff. It's, uh, no one has a perfect crystal ball here. Uh, there was a 20-odd percent fall in US shares in 2018 to its low point on Christmas Eve. Then we saw a massive bounce a few days later, and that uh, that rally just continued. There was no retesting of the bottom at all, uh, even though many were expecting that. So it is very, very difficult for investors to time market bottoms, um, and I would suspect a better approach if you are if an investor is looking for bargains, you you try and average in rather than uh, think that you're going to time the bottom because you probably won't unless you get lucky. Well, how does an investor average in? What's a- averaging in is a, a simple concept. You say, well, I, I've got uh, $100, say. Hopefully it's a bit more than that. You've got $100. Um, I don't know whether we've seen the bottom or not, but we've seen a good rally, so that's a positive sign. Um, but we could still go down again, so I, I really don't know. Um, I'm going to split that $100 up into four groups of $25, and I'll do $25 now. $25 in a month's time, $25 a month after that, and then the final $25 a month after that. So you're averaging into the market rather than than uh, claiming you can predict uh, the precise area where it bottoms out. Now, of course, that could be spread out over six months uh, if you're worried that this uh, coronavirus situation could extend for a longer period or it could be spread out over nine months. Or, or you might just have a, um, a strategy of, buying a portion of the amount you want to put in every time there's, say, a significant dip in the market. So if it falls more than 10% over the course of a, a few days, then you might put some in and then you don't put any more in until you get more, some more dips or you, you adopt some sort of more sophisticated rule. But there are ways to, to put money in rather than shoving it all in at once. And then, uh, and then being a little bit disappointed a few days later. Okay, okay. Now, uh, I mean, of course, there are some dire figures of, about the economy. I mean, uh, the Australian economy. Uh, data released by the ABS showed two thirds of Australian businesses expected their turnover cash flow had reduced as a result of COVID-19. And uh, the AFR's Economist survey for the March quarter showed economists are forecasting a median four uh, percent contraction in calendar 2020. That's right. In fact, I think our forecast in that was minus 6%, and that uh, is a year average number. We're actually looking for a top-to-bottom contraction of around 12%. So that's about a 2% contraction in the March quarter just passed and about a 10% contraction in the in the June quarter, and then a little bit of growth returning in the second half. So, it's yes, it is a, it's going to be a tough period here. Um, That will mean that company profits will come down. To some degree, the market's already factored that in, and hopefully the stimulus measures will uh, provide some support for the economy to minimise second-round effects from the shutdowns. So by that I mean, obviously, got a first-round effect. If things are shut down, people are stuck at home, can't spend. That obviously affects economic activity, and then you've got a second-round effect if that that activity, the shutdown, causes lots of businesses to go past, lots of people to permanently lose their jobs, uh, lots of people and businesses to default on their loans, for example. 
So hopefully the various measures put in place by governments and the Reserve Bank will help minimise that second round effect or the collateral damage from this and therefore we should be able to bounce back. But yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty around all of that and there is a lot of bad news to come. Well, uh, we'll see. And uh, I mean, uh, is it going to be a V-shaped recovery or something else? There's a lot of debate about that V, U or L. Um, I'll deal with the most negative one first. The L-shaped recovery is where you come crashing down. So the economy in Australia contracts 12%. Very hard to get a precise estimate of that. Could be more, could be less, but the economy takes a hit and we just stay down the bottom. <laughs> There's no real recovery. And unemployment will just shoot higher and stay up there. I think that's unlikely. I, th- I think at some point we will get the virus under control. And there's a lot of work going on that around the world at the moment. Once we do that, we can ease the shutdowns or hopefully eliminate them once uh, if a vaccine comes along. And secondly, a lot of the activity on the part of government is designed to protect the economy and provide stimulus for when the virus is under control. So that suggests we will get a recovery. So an L-shape, I think, is very unlikely. Uh, is it going to be a V-shape where you go straight down and then almost as quickly back up the other side? Probably not. Often with these things, it takes a little while to, to get back up again. It may look like a V-shape recovery when you look at economic growth. It could go, we have a fall of minus 12% and then we can get a bit of growth occurring if you grab that out. On a, on a chart, um, you know, it look like a bit of a V. You go from minus two in the March quarter, minus 10 in the June quarter, and then say plus two in the September quarter, and maybe plus three in the December quarter, then that's going to look like a V. In terms of the level of activity, it's going to look more like a U though, where you come down and then you gr- only gradually uh, get back towards more normal levels. Um, and that probably takes us through into next year before that occurs. So I think in the great scheme of things, it probably won't be a V, more likely a U-style recovery. But the fact that we are seeing all these stimulus measures on the part of government, um, 10% of GDP getting pumped into the economy, massive monetary stimulus to make sure that the financial system keeps working, that the flow of credit keeps happening and that money keeps circulating in the economy. Those things give me confidence that we will get a, a recovery, um, but it probably won't be up as quick as it's come down, um, but it will probably be a U-shaped recovery. Well, Shane Oliver, we'll all be watching that very closely, and thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, Leon. Thank you. Stay safe. So what's happening in the news? Well, the International Monetary Fund predicted the Great Lockdown Recession would be the steepest in almost a century and warned the world economy's contraction and recovery would be worse than anticipated if the coronavirus lingers or returns. In its first World Economic Outlook report since the spread of the coronavirus and subsequent freezing of major economies, the IMF estimated that global gross domestic product will shrink 3% this year. That compares to a January projection of a 3.3% expansion and would likely mark the deepest dive since the Great Depression. It would also dwarf the 0.1% contraction of 2009 amid the financial crisis. It predicts the Australian economy would shrink by a massive 6.7% this year. And global airline industry passenger revenue will plummet 55% this year, according to the latest International Air Transport Association forecast for for the pandemic hit sector. IATA ramped up its estimate on coronavirus-related worldwide losses among passenger airlines by another 25% to US $314 billion, that's $493 billion Aussie, and signalled that the turbulence could last well beyond the end of the lockdown period. 
We've never seen a downturn this deep before, said IATA Director General Alexander Juniak. Half our business disappears. That's catastrophic. And Amazon is to hire another 75,000 workers in America to meet demand from customers shopping from home because of lockdown restrictions. The online retailer has already bought on an extra 100,000 workers in its warehouses and as delivery drivers. Since more than 16 million Americans have lost their jobs in three weeks, the new posts are likely to be snapped up. And oil producers reached a historic agreement on Sunday to support oil prices, but it is unclear it will succeed in doing so. America helped negotiate a deal between the Organisation of Petroleum Exporting Countries, Russia and other allies, to reduce production by nearly 10 million barrels of oil a day, around 10% of global supply. The largest voluntary output cut ever. Even more notably, the producers agreed to limit production for two years. Yet, the bargain's impact is uncertain. COVID-19 has prompted oil demand to collapse. Appetite for crude could drop by 20 million barrels a day in April. The deal's duration could support oil prices as demand picks up, but only if producers abide by its terms. In the past, Russia, Iraq and other big producers have regularly exceeded their quotas. Other countries may rebel too. Mexico's reluctance to agree to cuts almost derailed a deal entirely. Those hoping for stable, higher prices will be disappointed. And global carbon emissions are tipped to fall 6% this year, more than during any previous economic crisis or war, led by a plunge in fuel consumption as the coronavirus hits economic activity and travel. But experts say that won't be enough to achieve the Paris Agreement's ambition of limiting global warming to as close as 1.5 degrees as possible. And business confidence has plunged to its lowest level on record, even worse than the 2008 global financial crisis and early 90s or 1990s recession, as cash-strapped firms brace for an economic downturn of unprecedented speed and magnitude. The closely watched National Australia Bank Business Survey reveals government coronavirus containment measures have hit business sentiment. Business conditions dropped 21 points to minus 21 in March. The previous record monthly low was minus 17 in February 2009. On a quarterly basis, this is not as weak as during the 1990s recession when quarterly business conditions near minus 40. Confidence fell 63 points to minus 66. The previous record, low both monthly and quarterly, was minus 30 in November 2008. This was consistent with consumer confidence falling to a record low in late March. Business cash flow deteriorated in March, reflecting slowing sales and forced closures by governments under strict social distancing rules. A collapse in corporate profits caused business conditions to fall last month, with the recreation and personal services industry suffering the biggest hit. Mining, finance and business and property services all suffered sharp declines in conditions. The exception was wholesale trade, which grew strongly due to grocery retailers stocking up on essential items demanded by panicked customers. NAB said forward orders by firms fell to their lowest level on record. Business confidence fell deep into negative territory to minus 66 points. And real estate agents expect housing values to drop as much as 20% as buyers drop out of the market, prompting fears of a prolonged downturn that could force some agencies to close, according to an industry poll. The survey, conducted at a CoreLogic platform, RP Data, showed more than a third, 35% of agents expect prices to drop between 10 to 20%, and more than a quarter, 27%, expect a deeper decline of more than 20%. 30% of the agents said the hefty price decline was already happening, while a similar proportion expect the price drop to occur in the next three to six months. 
And unemployment is set to soar to its highest rate in almost three decades, with 1.4 million Australians expected to be out of work. The unemployment rate will rise from 5.1% to 10% in the June quarter, according to Treasury figures, all but confirming Australia will enter a recession as it deals with the COVID-19 pandemic. The Treasurer said the economic shock from coronavirus was set to be far more significant than the global financial crisis. It will be the first time the unemployment rate has hit double digits since April 1994, and the figure is a fraction below Australia's peak unemployment rate of 11.2% in 1992. But Treasury's estimates show the unemployment rate would be much higher and peak at 15% had the government not intervened with a $130 billion wage subsidy program known as JobKeeper. And Qantas and Virgin Australia are set to receive a multi-million dollar rescue package to subsidise flights between capital cities after both airlines were forced to abandon much of their domestic networks because of travel restrictions crippling demand. The Morrison government is on the verge of signing off on the wave of assistance of the two major carriers, while admitting that overseas travel was likely to stay shut down until the end of the year. Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack spent the Easter weekend locked in negotiations with Qantas and Virgin executives, including their chiefs, Alan Joyce and Paul Scurra, over how the government can bolster flights with freight and passengers while keeping a lid on costs. But Virgin is considering going into administration, as it races against time to get out from under a $4.8 billion debt pile. The government says it's committed to having two airlines. It's just not saying which two. Amid calls from the federal opposition Anthony Albanese for the government to rescue the airline, Virgin has hired insolvency and turnaround experts at Deloitte to work on restructured scenarios. It is believed that as part of the restructuring effort, Virgin Australia has also hired the debt expert Jim McKnight of the investment bank Houlihan Loki, who has worked on some of Australia's biggest corporate collapses and rescues, including the shopping centres Centro, Toll Road Companies Briz Connections and Network 10. Virgin Australia has halted trading, telling the market it is considering ongoing issues with respect to financial assistance and restructuring alternatives amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And reliance on the private market to develop vaccines has failed, leaving us vulnerable to pandemics such as COVID-19, public health experts say. At least three SARS vaccines that may have prevented COVID-19 were cut off from funding as are about to go to clinical trials. Meanwhile, the global coalition spearheading the race towards a COVID-19 vaccine warns it is running out of funding. Manufacturing a vaccine is much more expensive than making a drug because it often involves modifying yeast or bacteria to produce a vaccine, a difficult and costly process. Because of those factors, the enthusiasm in the pharmaceutical industry to invest in vaccines has dropped dramatically in the last 20 years. Vaccines are far more expensive to develop and produce than other drugs, and many of the potential customers are the global poor, making big pharma companies reluctant to invest. Nobel laureate and immunologist Professor Peter Doherty said the world needed to change its funding model for vaccine development. There is just not enough profit margin in it for pharma companies, he said. They live by profits and the rules of capitalism, and capitalism has no interest in human beings other than as consumers. And the coronavirus has triggered Australia's self-sufficiency push. Australia's reliance on imported products will be put under the microscope by the federal government as it pushes the economy to become more self-sufficient in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Federal Agriculture Minister David Littleproud has started quietly pulling together a policy roundtable from the public and private sectors. So agriculture is the industry best place to thrive after COVID-19 restrictions are relaxed as rain soaks into drought-baked paddocks of eastern Australia. Mr Littleproud said agriculture, even though it delivered just 2% of GDP, would be crucial in helping the nation rebound after this crisis. 
He was circumspect about bringing back food manufacturing jobs, but said there were opportunities for new jobs in innovation and science to boost livestock and crop yields with new farming techniques and technology. And the world's fourth biggest pension pool is bracing for multi-billion dollar outflows and diminished returns after Australia's government allowed people hit by the coronavirus outbreak to dip into their retirement savings early. Australia's superannuation industry expects as much as $50 billion to be withdrawn over the next five months, causing liquidity problems for some funds. The policy, which comes into effect on April the 20th, also risks locking in investment losses as assets are sold to fund the payments amid the worst market volatility since the global financial crisis. While leading funds such as Australian Super say they have enough liquid assets to meet liabilities, they've expressed concerns about the plan and the likelihood that investors will miss the opportunity to ride the eventual market rebound. And Qantas staff are exploring options, including a class action, alleging the airline failed to adequately protect them against COVID-19 after more than 59 employees became infected along with some family members. The Flight and Attendance Association of Australia has begun exploring possible legal avenues for staff amid deep dissatisfaction about the way in which Qantas has handled what they say are the risks, particularly to cabin crew. The Australian Health Protection Principal Committee has now acknowledged that international cabin crew face a higher risk and issued new guidance to the airlines as Qantas gives up to begin limited scheduled international flights to Los Angeles, London, Auckland and Hong Kong. The flights will operate for a month, Qantas said. Previously, aircrew were exempt from quarantine, unlike their passengers, to allow them to maintain a semblance of normal life while staffing essential flights. And television and radio spectrum fees will be waived for 12 months, $50 million put into regional news gathering, and content quotas will be suspended for the rest of 2020 in a relief package from the government to help media companies navigate the COVID-19 pandemic. Communications Minister Paul Fletcher announced the package on Wednesday as part of an effort to help media companies, which are experiencing heavy drop-offs in advertising revenue due to brands pulling planned spending during government-imposed restrictions on movement aimed at stopping the spread of coronavirus. But News Corp is warning the spread of the coronavirus will hit Foxtel and KO subscriptions due to the cancellation of Mo's Live Sports, a weak listing volume expected for its property classifieds business, REA Group, and Move but says it is seeing growing digital book purchases and subscriptions for its news websites. Foxtel had been under pressure before the outbreak of COVID-19 escalated in Australia over the last month, with a declining broadcast subscriber base. It has turned to KO, its sports streaming service, which was launched in November 2018, as a major part of its restructure and to provide growth. KO slipped back over the summer months during the cricket season, and News Corp had pointed to the NRL and AFL seasons being the key for the service to take off again. But now, with the AFL, NRL and Super Rugby sessions postponed, Foxtel and KO have come under renewed pressure. And McDonald's has expanded the essential groceries available to customers during the coronavirus crisis. The fast food chain announced last month it would begin selling basic groceries such as bread and milk during the pandemic. And now it's added eggs to that list. The newest items will be rolling out at stores nationally over the next week. The groceries are available through drive-thrus and takeaway services. And Westpac has set aside $900 million to settle a massive breach of anti-money laundering laws in what would be the biggest fine in Australian corporate history. The potential fine is part of a $1.43 billion of charges, including increased customer remediation, that will slash first-half profit with newly appointed Chief Executive Officer Peter Keane warning further bad debt provisions from the coronavirus crisis are coming. 
The Sydney-based lender is still working out the extent of the expected credit losses and will provide an update before releasing first half results on May the 4th, it said in a statement. However, it expects to have a significant increase in bad debt provisions. Earnings at all of Australia's major banks are set to plunge this year as a coronavirus outbreak shuts down large swathes of the economy. Dividend payments, one of the key attractions of bank stocks for retail shareholders, are also under pressure after regulator urged lenders to reduce payouts to shore up capital. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Didier Moutier, the Commissioner of St John Ambulance Australia. And we'll be talking about how St John Ambulance is using technology to support its 130-strong team of volunteers to remain connected and engage within the organisation during this period of strict social distancing. This is a critical component for the organisation as it relies on a team of volunteers who are engaged to support the community. The Granville Division of St John's Ambulance exists to support its local health services with first aid support and services and equipping individuals, families and workplaces with high quality equipment. The team also has a critical role in major incidents like COVID-19 where they will work alongside emergency services in times of need. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering analysing Australia's latest unemployment figures. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBLZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.